We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. The Bills make me wanna Joining us tonight from the Bills Inner Circle is one of the most recognizable fans in uh, Buffalo's history, Mr. Ezra Castro. Also known as Pancho Villa. <laughs> he is currently, well, this past week he's been battling, he had chemotherapy, he's been battling cancer. And, but this is not to dampen his spirit and his love for the game and his bills. Wow. That's Ezra, so nice. Pancho Villa. Can you please join us on stage? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That is awesome. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Bills Mafia. With the 96 pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, our Buffalo Bills select Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle, Stanford. Yeah, baby. everybody another edition of the rock bell report podcast i am your host buffalo bill season ticket holder drew gear to my right is my producer chris krueger and that was ezra castro ancho pila president of the dallas fort worth bills backers announcing the bills pick in the third round ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages we have reached a point in the season where there's really not a lot left to talk about Exactly, because Rex Ryan isn't our head coach. He's not. He's so not, he doesn't have planes and eating yeah, dog biscuits. Yeah, and, he, you know, we had Rex Ryan. He generates news on his own in the off season. We have McDermott. Who's, no, we have Sean McDermott, who is literally walking ambient. Walking ambient. He's a boring guy unless you're in the room with him. <laughs> and then apparently he's an intense dude. So that brings us. I mean, we have no pomp, no circumstance. I mean, oh, well, I will say this. The Pancho Bila thing, I understand he's making the media rounds good for him. 
Good for this. Good, good for the team reaching out and recognizing you know, visible members of the fan base. I'd like to think that we are one of the most dedicated fan bases in the entire NFL. And you have a thousand other teams that try to say that they do it better. I mean, Seattle with the 12th man. They somehow think that they took that. They think they're the 12th man. No, we do have the best fan base in the NFL. And I'm not saying that being a homer. I'm saying that because I'm being a homer. <laughs> that we have the best fan base. I'm saying it just based on the number of teams that don't like to come here and play. Okay? They don't like to come into Ralph Wilson and play. Why? Well, I guess now it's New Era Field. They don't like it because it's loud. It's hostile. You have children flipping you off. We're Philadelphia North in the eyes of some players. And I'm okay with that because we aren't Philadelphia. Philadelphia is a... Sh- they're a collection of some of the shittiest human beings in the face of the earth. Yeah, they throw things at Santa Claus. Don't I don't really I don't really care for that. And it but, is a tough place to play. Green Bay's never won here. No, oh, and that's my point. I think that we as a fan base, we represent on game day well, but also this here is just a nod to how diehard some of our biggest fans are. Even those who don't live here in Buffalo. I mean, it's just, it's incredible to see a guy like that get an opportunity. And good for him. I'm glad for everything that he's gone through. I'm happy to see him doing well, A. And B, get an opportunity to really, you know, be embraced by the team. Chris, let's start everybody off with the Bills News Update. There is no Bills News Update. I've got one thing that's mildly interesting, and it's some guy who used to be a linebacker for the Panthers named Dan Morgan takes over as something. He fills in some job here in our front office that nobody actually gives a shit about. I'm sorry. This is the time of the season where every bit of football news grinds to a halt. And the only people still trying to make headlines out of it are hacks. Or guys who get paid by the click, who have to generate headlines to get you to read them in order for them to feed their families. I understand it, but I'm not going to put myself in that boat. Given that, guys, we're going to a bi-weekly format starting this week. We will not see you. I know, it sucks. We will not see you for another two weeks. Every two weeks, we will have a podcast on a Wednesday night. to be the bad guy ultimately what it comes down to is that there just isn't enough going on at this point to just there's there's not enough here to talk about on a weekly basis for me to make an entertaining show for you guys so i'm not gonna i could be a shill and i could sit here and tell you every week we're gonna bring you something new and interesting that's a lie i that, could i could tell you guys if you guys want to hear some Stories of uh, my Uber experiences. See, that's that, it. that could be a thing for this summer. See, that's it. Like, you just, it, it doesn't work. So we're going to a bi-weekly format starting this week. We won't see you again for a week and a half. But we love you, and just know that. With that, we get into this week's second half of the NFL, the NFL draft from a Bills perspective. We're going to break down the rest of the picks 
that we didn't get to talk about last week. The first round was busy. There wasn't there there was a lot going on. Me emotionally, I was so tied into it that I forgot a lot of what happened. I missed a lot of things. So it's good to be able to go back and kind of rewatch this and kind of refamiliarize myself with not only with these picks but to talk our way through them because I feel like I see the Bills getting different draft grades and I still agree that everything hinges on who we picked as a quarterback. But I think there's some notable names here that are going to come out in the next few rounds of this draft that really will end up helping the team or at least will be a factor come training camp. I mean, it all starts at round three with Harrison Phillips, the defensive tackle out of Stanford at pick number 96. Knee-jerk reactions. Chris, what did you think when we took Harrison Phillips? When we picked Harrison Phillips, my first thing was, was, I mean, A, because I don't know a whole lot about football, and I'm going to tell you that all of the time. I don't know how many defensive tackles we got to keep on the roster, but I see third round Harrison Phillips, and then I also remember a couple years ago, third round Adolphus Washington. Is that going to be a camp battle? And because Adolphus Washington was not one of Bean's guys, is there the potential that Washington gets cut because of this draft pick? That's a that's a very good that's a very good line of thinking. Exactly, because I I think better when I drink. <laughs> now, last week we talked about how despondent I was after after the Buffalo Bills decided to go with Josh Allen over Josh Rosen. I think if I think if we had traded up like higher to get. Edmonds, maybe you wouldn't have drank as much between picks to where you kind of forgot about it because, you know, that was, you know, our big need on the offensive side of the ball was the quarterback and our biggest need defense was the linebacker. So maybe if we traded up like to 13, 14, you wouldn't have consumed so much alcohol in between picks that you just forgot when people are like, oh, we got that linebacker. They're like, we got they took Allen. Give me more run. That's it, folks. I, I He may have a point because I got what I like to call pirate drunk, which means I drank damn near an entire bottle of rum, got pie-eyed like Popeye, where you have one eye closed, one eye opened, and was drunk enough to cuss like a sailor. The next day, I felt better after watching the highlights and reading the scouting reports on Tremaine Edmonds. Considering the Bills' lack of a second-round pick, I, I was pretty laid back heading into our friend's wedding, and I didn't bother checking my phone. I didn't care about any of it. After the wedding reception, everyone went and changed, and the plan literally was to head to the club at 10 o'clock for her after party. That's three hours of waiting. Now, you consider what a good mood I was in. I just kept boozing because I was having a blast. Then... Once I was changed and the third round was starting, my fiance suggested we go down to the sports bar because the Bills had a pick in that round. And I said, you know what, babe? Not only do I love you, but I'm going to come down here and I'm going to do this. And I'm also going to drink a quarter of a bottle of Grey Goose. When we took Phillips, I finished my third glass of Goose on the Rocks and decided that I needed two more to celebrate what I thought was an amazing pick. That pick, combined with the Edmonds selection and mixed with all of the top-shelf booze, is what inevitably led to me spiking a beer glass out of excitement at the end of the shout song in the middle of the, in the 
the resort's club, summarily sending myself to bed and ending my night. To say that I like this pick is a gross understatement. First and foremost, scheme fit. Anytime a defensive tackle leads his collegiate team in a Power 5 conference and tackles, you almost don't have a choice but to take notice of the guy. Likewise, when you see a defensive tackle who put up 42 reps on the bench press at 225 pounds at the combine. Oh, yeah, we know you love that because you love working out and doing bench presses. (laughs) So we know that makes you hard in certain areas. When you look at what Harrison Phillips is, he looks like that perfect blend of strength and intelligence. I'm going to read you something. 2005, Kyle Williams, draft profile from scout.com. Okay? Pros, hardworking, scrappy defender who plays with good fundamentals. Quick off the snap, gets leverage on opponents and displays solid hand technique. Tenacious, goes hard until the whistle blows, chases to get to those involved with the actions. Displays an array of moves getting off blocks, makes plays laterally up and down the line of scrimmage. Negatives, not strong at the point and driven off the ball by opponents. Marginal skill as a pass rusher. Analysis, a high-revving defender, Williams' ability to get leverage on opponents gives him an upper hand. May never be a starter at the NFL level, yet his tenacity and approach to the game will find him a spot on an NFL roster. That's what was said about Kyle Williams before he was taken in the fifth round by the Buffalo Bills. So it's easy to see why there are so many comparisons being made between Harrison Phillips and Kyle Williams. Don't get me wrong. Phillips isn't perfect by any stretch. I mean, there's a reason he was still available in the third round. Watching his highlights and the scouting videos that are available out there on the internet and on YouTube, you see that he's going to have to learn how to shed blocks better at the NFL level. He's a powerful kid, so I'm confident he can do it. But when you see big plays occur against Stanford on the ground, it's often because he either took a bad route to attacking the play, for example, trying to split the center and guard, and literally running himself headfirst into a double team and letting the ball run past him. Or simply by allowing to let the offensive line get their hands into his chest and then just doesn't disengage and get back into the play. Having said that, I mean, there's there's some things to not like about his tape, but you can't teach 42 reps on the bench press in training camp. And when you have his level of production, you know there's a villain. There's just a ability there. His background as a wrestler in high school, I mean, a lot's been made of it. They say, oh, well, McDermott picked him because he wrestled and he wrestled. You know, both people know what it takes. But you hear McDermott talk about his wrestling specifically. And he says, look, there's a there's an, a level of cardio that it takes to wrestle that at a guy who's 300 pounds, it's impressive to know that he has what it takes to have that discipline to learn the cardio it takes to wrestle. Not only that, it gives him a lot of hip flexibility and good, quote-unquote, tick-down defense. I mean, 
Anybody out there who's ever watched an MMA fight? Cut blocks. That's essentially you you need to learn how to, instead of sprawling, you need to learn how to deflect somebody coming from your legs and try to get past them. It's the same thing. And he's also very good at going one-on-one against a guard or a center because that's what he spent his whole wrestling career doing. Belly-to-belly, man-on-man, may the best man win. For his future outlook, for 2018, he projects as a rotational player, in my mind, on early downs against the run. I think between him and... But just based on his college production and the pedigree he comes here with, on early downs, I'm seeing his selection kind of already sunsetting Kyle Williams. Okay? On early downs, I expect to see a lot of Phillips and Latulale to produce what should be a pretty stout unit up front against the run. That's going to give Kyle Williams time to rest for pass rushing downs and keep him fresh deeper into games. I mean, the guy's no spring chicken. What is he, like 35 years old, right? 35, 36. I, I like... Oh, he's only a couple years older than me, but he's way grayer. <laughs> I, I like what Harrison Phillips is getting in the defensive tackle room. You got Kyle Williams, the veteran. You know, he's going to show Harrison how to be a pro and all of that stuff that comes with coming into the NFL. And then I think Latulale will be able to show uh, Harrison Phillips what he uh, should be expected uh, to put on the field from McDermott, having played for McDermott in Carolina. So I and I, I like I like his the vets that he's got in the defensive room to help him along. No, that's he, that's a great point. He's got a he's got a guy who's learned how to pass rush, even though he wasn't a high draft pick, and he himself had to learn how to pass rush, and at the same time. He's going to be learning from one of the stouter run defect defenders in this year's free agent class. Everything, this seems like the perfect landing spot for Harrison Phillips, and I absolutely love the pick. Moving on to the fourth round. This is where things get muddy. Pretty much it was downhill from here for me. Teron Johnson, cornerback out of Weber State. I'm just going to give you a list of pros and cons. The pros, he's got experience. He was a senior. He played at the Senior Bowl. That's where he met the Buffalo Bills scouts. He's, he has some nice physical traits. He runs a 4.5 second 40, did 17 reps on the bench. He strikes me as a, a strong guy. And he has experience in zone concepts. He has, every year in college, he had very good numbers in pass breakups. He's also a willing tackler who is not afraid to throw his body around. Now, having said that, there's some problems. <laughs> there's a reason he's here in the fourth round. He misses a lot of tackles. You know, for his the body is willing, you know, the spirit is willing, but the body is <laughs> He's that kind of guy. He misses a lot of tackles. He's also very small. He's 5'11", 192 pounds, and he only has 30-inch arms. I mean, I'm sorry, he's too small to ever play on the outside. I mean, say what you want, Terrence McGee. People say, oh, Terrence McGee wasn't the biggest guy in the world, and he was a great outside cornerback. Okay. He had long arms, and he could get into wide receivers, get his hands in the air, and block passes. If you're a small and short-armed cornerback, you will never be trusted to an outside role. You just won't be. My question, because you just mentioned Terrence McGee, I don't even 
remember Terrence McGee really uh, doing things well as a cornerback. I do remember him in the return game. Is this a spot for Toronto? Absolutely not. No? Absolutely not. So is he not going to make the roster in August? Well, this is it. And this is what makes this pick confusing. He's very aggressive with his hands, which makes me think he's going to get flagged a lot at the NFL level. And he struggles against wide receivers getting off of blocks. I mean, this pick out of every pick the Bills made in this draft was one of the more mass selections. I mean, Teron Johnson? Hello, I've never heard of you before. My guess, he competes for a backup's backup job at the slot corner position behind Glass Joe, a.k.a. Philip Gaines. With that guy's injury history, it's not even a question in my mind that we are going to see multiple defensive backs getting playing time in those nickel packages. Maybe he can grow into that guy, but I, I, just, I, I just don't see it, Chris. I don't. I don't even know who he is. And I don't think I'll know him until he makes the 53. Speaking of which, Saran Neal, top of round five. Pick who? number 150. Exactly. Who? Saran Neal, strong safety out of Jacksonville State. Now, this guy. That's an actual college. Yes. All right. This guy, I, I, this is the thing I didn't understand. People say, oh, well, they took a bunch of no-name defensive backs in the middle rounds. Okay, well, here's what I'll say. I saw them take a no-name defensive back in the fourth round. In the fifth round, yes, he's not a household name, but Saran Neal is by no sense a slouch. This guy is a very aggressive in-the-box safety. One of the things coming into Sean McDermott's tenure here with the Buffalo Bills, we talked about it. One of the things he liked to do was run a three-safety formation. He loves three-safety formations. He didn't have the personnel to run it last year. They drafted this guy, who is literally a... He's played cornerback, he's played safety, he's played a little linebacker. He's got experience in every position. That's what you're looking for if you're going to run the optimal three-safety look. You don't need a a top-end performer at safety. You have two dynamic safeties that you can shift around with another guy who's not afraid to hit, who can do the the in-the-box work, but also get his hands on some balls as they're going by him. That's literally what it comes down to. Leonard Johnson was his guy for a while. That should tell you how, you know what I mean? Chris. Uh, My thing is I just hope he's coachable because we all know that McDermott's very very His good specialty with is coaching the, linebackers and, and the safety. safeties. That's is if this guy's coachable, I think McDermott will then will be able to to get something out of him. Now, do, you're we've we've reached the deep part of the draft where most of these guys don't make a roster. But I'll tell you this, Saran Neal, based on what you watch on tape from him, he hits. He's a hitter. He's a fearless tackler. He's good when he gets to the ball. He sometimes lunges with his shoulder a little bit. But otherwise, he's a solid in-the-box safety. So maybe this is the evolution of the defense. You know, you bring in enough guys that you think can play the in-the-box in role. That way you can trust your Jordan Porter and Micah Hyde to just go patrol the deep quarters of the field and leave this speedy safety in the box to just hit people. 
I think that we're getting closer and closer to seeing what McDermott wants in a finished product for his ideal championship caliber defense. Saran Neal, maybe he's not the guy. Maybe he can be. It depends on his evolution. It depends on how he kind of grows within the system. But that's not to say he can't do it because based on the tape I saw, this guy is something. He'll be like Bakari Rambo. <laughs> Maybe. Because he everybody knows Bakari Rambo because he picked off Aaron Rodgers twice. That's his only claim to fame. Maybe we'll get that out of him. Now, the biggest pick I think we made in round five was Wyatt Teller. Pick number 166. Guard out of Virginia Tech. Knee-jerk reaction. I just I looked at it and I said, well, we drafted an offensive lineman. Eh, it's kind of the obligatory pick. It's a it's a position of need, whatever, I don't care. In the morning, I took a better look at it. Unlike the pair of defensive backs we drafted previously, I like this pick in terms of value and positional need. I was a little pissed that they weren't making an effort to look at the running back class. I'll admit that. That's part of my just reaction to the way the draft unfolded but at the same time with the free agency signings that they made at that position i wasn't expecting them to swing for the fences for a highly touted running back prospect i wasn't when you look at what teller is he's a powerful run blocker but there's a couple things specifically that i liked about his highlights and a little bit of scouting tape i was able to find on him i mean chris you're not once you get to this point in the draft there's not coaching tape readily available on these players. There isn't. I could have sworn I saw something tweet out from uh, Pro Football Focus that he was when we he's like the he was like a top five guard when it came to the run. When it came to the run, he was one of the most dominating guards in the country, and he didn't allow a single quarterback sack. That's impressive considering he plays in the ACC which is one of the more competitive divisions in college football. As far as it comes to line play and trench warfare. That's probably second behind the SEC. So Teller was very often asked. This is one of the things I loved about him. He was asked to play as a pulling guard in the rushing attack and in the screen game. Now, if you guys remember in 2016, 2017, our rushing attack was at its best when we use pulling guards and centers to seal the edges off the defense. I mean, it would seem that this is something that within Teller, he comes into camp already familiar with. So for all the other camp bodies we might sign, he's got a leg up on everybody because he's used to that type of game plan. He's also had experience playing on the defensive side of the ball. Okay. So before switching to offensive line, he did try to play defensive line. A lot of that might come down to the fact that he has just very average foot speed. Some analysts like Rob Rang from NFL Draft Scout flat out say that they think that it gives him a familiarity when they're watching his tape. They're like he stalks across the on 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 pulls. He stalks across the line of scrimmage and also down the field, just looking for somebody to hit. That comes from being on the defense and just trying to track a ball carrier. Now you're just trying to track anybody who can block. 
that the fact that that skill set translates over and the fact that he was rated by Pro Football Focus as one of the top run-blocking guards in the country, I mean, I, it's incredible to me. And I think that that definitely plays a role. And then also, the thing I noticed is that he has a ton of upper body strength. And when you watch him off the snap, combined with his above-average ability to hand fight, there's not a lot of defensive linemen in the league who can get their hands into his body and try to physically redirect him. It doesn't happen. He usually hand fights him off and knocks him down. That in and of itself is encouraging. So when you combine those things with his nasty on-the-field demeanor, he projects as a solid prospect to groom on the offensive line. NFL, NFL.com had him pegged as a third to fourth round pick. So the fact that we got him in the back end of the fifth, that's excellent value at a position that when I look at our Bills depth chart heading into the 2018 season, scares the hell out of me. I don't know who's going to play guard. Yeah, incognito's gone, Wood retired. You know, a lot of questions in that interior offensive line. Absolutely. And then round six, and this is one, I'm sorry, this, I, I, maybe this guy has some fans. I just. <laughs> no, 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 let's be honest. You didn't like this pick because this pick meant you had to drink a Seagram's. This, pe- this pick cost me a Seagram's chug. I, I would have been, been happier had we went elsewhere with this pick and then drafted Pearl where we did because then that would have meant second to last pick is the reason you had to drink a Seagram. I hate both of these picks. So first off, round six, number 187, Ray Ray McLeod, wide receiver out of Clemson. McLeod's situation, there's nothing I can do but call it murky. You go to Rivals.com, okay? High school football prospect tracking website. McLeod was the second ranked wide receiver in the entire country coming out of high school. He also played running back and was a standout at that position, finishing his senior year with 1,933 yards and 17 touchdowns. After getting to college, though, he kind of fell into this gap of being a jack-of-all-trades but master of none. I mean, he's a second-team All-American as a punt returner. He runs a 4.53 a 4.5340. But he's only 5'10", and he weighs 190 pounds. And he really has kind of struggled to solidify a position for himself. His route running is subpar. And even though his straight line speed is decent, his lack of refined form just keeps him from, I don't know, being explosive in terms of getting separation from cornerbacks at the collegiate level. I have to assume that that's going to get worse at the NFL level. I mean, Chris... Everything gets ratcheted up a notch when you break over from college to the NFL. Yeah, but I don't think I don't expect this guy to run anything outside. Wouldn't he be like in the slot, or maybe a kick returner? I'd love to see a. Now that I'm a season ticket holder, I would love to see a punt return for a touchdown at some point in my lifetime. Well, that's it. I mean, he, he. I don't know where to project this guy. It's frustrating. He's got all his physical talents, but he doesn't seem to have ever really put it together. He doesn't project well 
I mean, as a punt returner, maybe. But he doesn't seem to fit the mold of a premier kick returner, a running back, or a wide receiver at the NFL level. But there's always a chance he can be molded into something useful. Simply, I, I mean, because it, when you look at the guy's history in big games, for as, for as physically limited as Ray Ray McLeod has been, and for as down as I am on him, am on him I can't help but think that he showed up for Clemson when the lights got bright. In 2017, okay, I'm going to read it back for you. Six passes for 81 yards against number 13 Auburn, a game that they won. He follows it up the following week. Seven catches, 115 yards, and a touchdown on the road against number 14 Louisville. Six catches, 100 yards against number 7 Miami in the ACC title game. Ultimately, what I think for McLeod is that you have to have either you're designating him to be your returner of some sorts, or you have an offensive coordinator who has a role for him in mind and is creative enough to work him open via scheme. Because he's not going to do it because of his size. He's not going to do it because of his scheme or route running. I mean, it just, it's it's got to be scheme-driven. It's not going to happen simply because he's the fastest guy on the field. Or because he's, a, he's essentially a water bug, Chris. Sure, I don't even know what that means in NFL terms. Oh, Jesus. I just know that his parents accidentally wrote down his first name twice on the on his birth certificate. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Ultimately, with Ray Ray McLeod, I, time's going to tell if he can put the work in to become a useful player. And if, between Brian Dable and Danny Crossman, they can find a niche for him, he may very well make this team and prove to be a useful player. If they can't, and if he doesn't put the work in to kind of get faster and get a little bit cleaner on his routes, there's no hope for him on this roster. Speaking of no hope on the roster, round number seven, number pick number 225, Austin Pro, a wide receiver out of North Carolina. Who the hell is that? This is what I'll tell you who it is. It's one of the more aggravating picks of the entire draft. Well, he was taking it 255. He's he- literally <laughs> almost Mr. Irrelevant. I know. You should have had to drink two Seagrams because we took two receivers. Honestly, this pick just made me scratch my head. Okay, I can understand why when you don't have a punt or kick returner on your roster and you draft a guy who's undersized at the wide receiver position, but you think he might be able to be groomed into that role in the future, I see why you draft him. So when you double down, okay? When you double down on that type of player the very next round, that's where I lose you, okay? Just one round after taking a small wide receiver who doesn't seem to have any sort of a defined role at the NFL level, the team made a similar mistake by taking a much less talented prospect, UNC's Austin Prowell, son of former Panther Ricky Prowell. It just confuses me. That wide receivers like Simi Cobbs, six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds, four point six four forty, or even Robert Foster from Alabama, 
who we signed as an undrafted free agent at six foot two, one ninety six, and four hundred. He ran a four point four one forty. Those guys were still available, and yet we chose to spend that pick on a player who not only isn't even regarded as a potential backup at the NFL level by NFL.com, but at 5'9 and just 182 pounds, I don't know that he's big enough to contribute anywhere on an NFL roster. I mean, Chris, that guy... He's smaller than me. He's smaller than you. And I have the most athletic dad bot on the market. Oh, my God. You are an asshole. I think I could probably take him in a fight. Folks, He's smaller than me. Folks, needless to say, that pick, I, I don't understand it. I don't expect him to stick to the roster. I expect him to get cut. I think there are undrafted free agents who are going to grossly outperform him. In the, and I just don't understand. It, the, the pick just makes me, it makes my head hurt. And now, folks, as we do pretty much every postseason, we like to keep an eye around the rest of the division. Obviously, it matters what our, you know, some of the teams that we hate the most. You got to kind of keep an eye on what's going on on their side of the fence, too. You know, it's not all just patting ourselves on the back for having a sweet draft or, you know, <laughs> maybe enjoying someone else's suffering. So this week, we have a very special guest coming on with us tonight to discuss the New England Patriots. People call it the Boston accent. It's not an accent. It's a whole city of people saying most words wrong. Dante Scarnecchia is a fantastic offensive line coach. We all know that. But, I mean, he's working miracles with that kid. That was one hell of a Super Bowl, Christian. (laughs) Folks, we have Christian (laughs) Simonelli on with us today. How are you doing, brother? I was doing fine until he opened his mouth. Uh, so, number one with a bullet on my list of things. I mean, it's been a long time since we talked. I mean, literally since the middle of last season. So, the first thing I got to ask is, how has life been since that Super Bowl loss? Um, it's been pretty tumultuous, actually. There's been a lot of uh, uncertainty in Patriots Nation that seems to have only gotten cleared up Um Sometime last week with uh, Gronk and Brady both reportedly committed to, uh, well, Brady reportedly committed to playing at first, and then Gronk did, and then they both came out and made statements that they will be here for the upcoming season. But um, a lot of uncertainty in Patriots Nation before that. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, I'm watching all this drama play out, and I gotta, I gotta be honest with you. I hate everything to do with these players. I hate your franchise, I hate your team, I hate their stupid faces, but I've been eating this stuff up just because that in my cold black heart, I want it all to be true. I want to know that Rome is burning, finally. Yeah, it seems like there's a mutiny. But at the same time, it sounds as if everything, all of a sudden you flash a little cash and all of a sudden guys are getting their contracts reworked and everybody's happy again. How does that work? Well, it's funny, you know, when when you when you bring money into the equation, that it, it often, uh, you know, it often cures a lot of um, a lot of ills. So, yeah, hey, if I was you, I'd, I'd be I'd be you know sitting with marshmallows on the fire, burn baby, burn. But um, you know, apparently, it looks like at least for this year coming up, that uh, both of the guys will be will be on the team. And um, the biggest point of contention is clearly this whole trainer issue with 
Guerrero, Brady's guy, for people that don't know. Alex Guerrero is, is Tom Brady's trainer. Brady has a certain belief, a certain way to train that differs from the way that the team trains, and there's been a clash. And the clash occurred last year and really came to a head with Guerrero, who was allowed in the organization and allowed to travel with the team, was stripped of both of those. And, um, and you so know that's Bill. Brady that's got, got mad, Bill's drunk, finger- got mad and that's that's got Bill's issue. fingerprints all over it though because he, ultimately nothing happens inside that building unless he says so. Well, absolutely. Um, it was definitely Bill's call to let him in, and it was Bill's call to say see you later. And um, you know, there was clearly from all the reports and stuff that you read, there was clearly an issue between Guerrero saying one thing to certain players and the team's training staff saying another thing to players. So. Mm-hmm. There was a report out and there I, that Gronk refused to do squats based oh, wow. on Guerrero's advice. Well, yeah. I mean, hey, I don't do squat. I do the hack squats. I don't do bar squats yep. literally because they're not good. I have a wonky knee, and there's nothing good about them for your knees, so I just don't do them. Nope. Yep. So I, I can understand and, where uh, that might come from. Now, hopefully sure. this rift does does just kind of implode your team because that's how I want to see it end. More than likely what's going to happen because life isn't fair and the football gods have proven time and time again that they don't like me, okay? What's probably going to happen is he's going to do a Peyton Manning, he's going to win another Super Bowl and then get to ride off into the sunset instead of what I'd like to see, which is him end his career like Brett Favre, where he overstays his welcome, fails a lot, and then inevitably just ends up a broken down old man. (laughs) But again, bitter, just a bitter, cold, black heart on my end. Hey, I would be too. Like I said, no problem with that. <laughs> Last couple questions I have for you before we get into the draft conversation. Um, this Super Bowl, <laughs> first and foremost, actually, the play- let's start with the playoffs. In that game against the Jaguars, were you at any point legitimately concerned? Or did you just kind of have a sense that, hey, this is all going to work out? Oh, I was concerned when Gronk went out. Um and then all of a sudden, you know, Danny Amendola converts a third and 20. And I'm like, all right, Jacksonville just doesn't have it. Brady's going to throw it up to, to, the, to the guy in the first row, and they're going to win this game. And that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, he spread the ball around. He got a huge defensive pass interference call um, with Brandon Cooks going down the sideline. That really changed the complexion of the game. The other big play in that game was the blown whistle, the fouler pickup on the fumble. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a huge, huge turning point in the game. Um, you know, if that play stands, you're talking about a totally different ball game. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. But Patriots were at home, and they came out. They came out <laughs> on top. But it should have been. I mean, it I mean, should have been a refer- you guys time had, for the you, Super Bowl. You guys had referees high fiving players after touchdowns. I mean, it was fine. It's fine. It's totally cool. Everyone else, every other NFL fan ever out there understands. Don't worry. We we understand. So then, home field advantage. What else do you want? I think you know? that hey. that's what made the Super Bowl so much sweeter. Watching Tom Brady stretch his fingers out for that pass and not get it, and then watching the Eagles hit you guys with that, what probably should have been flagged as an illegal formation, uh, the, the, Which Philly, it was, the Philly fine. special. Oh, my God. It just seemed too karmatic. It was perfect. I mean, uh, as an engagement present, one of Larissa's uncles got us a really expensive bottle of Prosecco. But neither one of us was oh. champagne, and neither one of us really knew what to do with it. Because I mean, champagne. I'm not a. I'm not a champagne. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'm not. Exa- I don't exactly exude class. 
So That's why you just stick to the, me as the champagne type. Yes. Yeah, well, so, the, well, the champagne of beers. <laughs> you can do that. So, so what ends up happening is I realize we have this bottle, and I put it on chill just for the Super Bowl because I said if the Eagles find a way to pull this off, everybody who showed up to my party is getting a swig of this because it's going to be phenomenal. <laughs> It'll be the best. Oh, my God. Christian, it was the greatest. It was the best I felt about the end of a season in a long, long time. You were actually more excited then than you were, I think, for the, uh, the uh, that, that play in Cincinnati to get you guys into the playoffs, man. I, I don't know. On Twitter, it it was way. close. It was damn close. I'll tell you this. Obviously, the Bills making the killing the drought trumps that, but only by a thin margin. So yeah. now, as we head into the NFL draft, every team in the AFC is trying to make their team a little bit better. You guys kind of came into here. Now, first and foremost, what did you do for the draft? Well, ultimately, I actually went to a friend of mine. Uh, he has a, a place in South Boston and watched the first round there, a bunch of people. Um, he just bought a place, and there was like 10 of us in there. So I was like, mm, all right, cool. We got two first-round picks for the first night. So, all right, provided that they don't trade any of them, which he usually does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this should be an interesting draft. Maybe they'll move up. Maybe they'll move back. Maybe, you know, who knows? They'll, they'll do something. Typically, they usually move around, you know, up and down the board. Um, I, I they thought it was both. Oh, well, I was going to say, I thought it was crazy how much actual movement took place. I mean, when you just look at the overall picture of what the first round of the draft was, there was a ton of movement, I think more so than we've seen in recent years. So I'm going to ask, when you're talking about the just the NFL draft as a whole, what was your favorite pick or picks from non-AFC East teams in this year's draft? Like, who do you think really well, found solid value? You know, I think... The Broncos getting Bradley Chubb at five, pairing him with that, with Vaughn Miller is going to be downright scary for teams. I thought that was a great pick. And I also think that the Cardinals getting Josh Rosen moving up when they didn't even have to give up a first-round pick. They only had to give up a third and a fifth. Um, I mean, you want to talk about value and mm-hmm. you know getting a quarterback, which for a team that hasn't had a quarterback really since Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer there for a little bit until he got hurt. But I thought those were – I really like both those picks. Now, is, on the other side of things, now you, you mentioned Bradley uh, Chubb. That pick only yeah. happens because one of my least favorite picks of the entire draft happened, which is Denzel Ward going number four overall to the Browns. Complete head scratcher, yeah. doesn't make any damn sense, and it starts a domino effect that ends up helping the Bills land Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. So mm-hmm. – when I look at that pick, all I see is you. this guy better be the next Patrick Peterson or you just, A, made yourself weaker, and B, made everyone behind you in the draft stronger. What are some of the picks that you saw that you looked at and said, man, those picks either are questionable or you just flat out thought they sucked? Well, you know, I got I kind of got a lot of flack from this from people that, that I was there with that night, but I, I don't. I know that Barkley is an excellent athlete, but I don't understand the Giants taking him at two. I'm sorry. Unless he's going to be Marshall Falk, you have a, a quarterback in Eli Manning that since he's won the Super Bowl in 2011 has been the lowest-rated quarterback in the league and has looked awful, has looked absolutely terrible. You got a draft with – ended up being, I think it was five quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round or six. Five or six QBs were drafted in the first round. How you don't take – 
um, the heir apparent at that point or move out of that spot and get some value and you could still, you know, get a quarterback somewhere in the middle rounds, even if you didn't want to take him that high. It was just a head-scratcher to me. And I still don't understand Baker Mayfield going once to the Browns. I'm sorry. I know he, 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 he could make the argument he was the best athlete in college football last year. But I just think that that kid is a ticking time bomb. And I don't – I just I worry about his size. I worry about his head. Um, the kid's certainly got balls, but those were the two biggest head-scratchers to me. And then you can add it. You can add in to what you just said about the Browns at, at number four to that to that list. I mean, it's just incredible. How do you, how do you as a franchise, you, you took? Oh, in fact, I'd add. I would add Baker Mayfield at number one overall to that category because you're talking about you yeah. took a quarterback who, yes, Pro Football Focus loves him. Anal, analytics guys think that this guy hung the moon. At the same time, you're talking about a quarterback who didn't run a great 40, who's less than six foot one, and doesn't have the strongest of arms. And he's got a gunslinger mentality. You know what happens when you have a gunslinger mentality and you don't have the arm to back it up? Bills fans saw that. For all the good things he did, that was the thing that damned Ryan Fitzpatrick here in Buffalo, was that... He had the mentality of, I'm going to throw into tight windows, and I'm going to make these throws, and I'm going to make these plays. I'm going to throw up the seam into double coverage. Why? Because he trusted his arm, and he had that, okay, I want to make a play. That was his mentality. Well, when you don't have the arm strength to pull it off, you end up in a very bad place. A lot of turnovers. And with a guy who's that short who already can't see over the offensive line, you're, you're just putting yourself in a position you don't need to at number one overall. So now moving on to New England, because, I mean, this is really why we're here tonight. First and foremost, what was your favorite pick of the draft for the, for, for the Patriots? Well, I really like the Sony Michelle pick. Um, losing Dion Lewis, um, who was really dynamic, and really the offense just looked different, I think, I thought, when he was in there. I think this kid can do a lot of the things that, that Dion Lewis did, but he's an overall, he's just a, a, a better athlete all around um, and a bigger, you know, and certainly in a bigger frame. So I like that because I think that that's a guy that can be on the field on all three downs and they can get really creative and use them and use them and just line them up all over the place. See, now to me, I, I have to ask the question. You guys take, you know, I'm watching the first round of the draft come by. I, I'm, I, I'm livid. Okay. At this point, we talked about it last week. I'm inconsolable because I didn't like the Josh Allen pick, which literally has been the pick that has divided where experts grade our draft on. That's why I didn't even bother trying to grade it myself because there's no point. It does hinge on the quarterback pick. And you saw the analysts that love Josh Allen as a prospect give the Bills a home run grade, whereas if you didn't like him and you think he's the Kyle Bowler 2.0, you failed the Bills across the board. So, oh, yeah. so looking at the Patriots draft, I watch you. You know, and mind you, I'm I'm a, by, by this point in the night, I'm a belligerent animal. There's no talking to me. I'm drunk on <laughs> I, what I what I like to call pirate drunk. Okay, pirate drunk. You were drunk on Captain Morgan white oh, rum. I'm just drinking white rum on the rocks. I've got kind of one eye closed. I I cuss a lot. <laughs> it's it's not good. So. 
when I see Isaiah Wynn come off the board and I say, oh, they took a guard in the first round. Because let's let's face it, Isaiah Wynn has a lot of flexibility. You know, they, they talk about how he, even though he's too sh- he's short by NFL tackle standards, there's a lot of people out there who think he might have the chops to play. And if he can't, he can certainly kick inside and be a very, very good guard. So to see them back that up with a running back pick, go offense after offense in the first round, it's a little demoralizing to me as a Bills fan because that's been the part of your team. I mean, no one's ever feared the Patriots' defense. That's never been a thing that Bills fans have been worried about. It's always been the offense. And so it seems like they're trying to stick with that strength and maintain it by picking those two. But I'm watching it happen, and I'm going, son of a bitch, You've got Sony Michelle, who's this dynamic running back, who you guys have tried to do this running back by committee, I feel like, for years. You kind of cheap on the running back wherever you can because you assume that anybody mm-hmm. you plug in can work. And I'd mm-hmm. like to think that the signing of Gillesley last offseason had something to do with the decision to draft Sony Michelle this year. Because you're talking about a team that spent millions of dollars on a running back who probably won't make this year's roster. I mean, is that fair? No, it's it's absolutely fair. Um, Gillis Lee was clearly in the doghouse and never really came out of it. Um, they have certainly tried to go running back by committee over the years. They really game to game. You know, James White could get 20 snaps one week, could get five the next. Same thing with Deion Lewis. It really is opponent specific. Um, is sort of how they, you know, use the backs and really sort of how they gear their game plan. Um, even when they drafted Vereen and um, Ridley, those guys didn't play an awful lot the first year uh, that much at all in their rookie season. The second year they did, but, you know, they had Danny Woodhead and Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis in front of them in 2011, <laughs> and, and they really didn't see the field. So, the law you know, firm. I'm just ex- – Ben yep, Jarvis Green-Ellis. Right. I forgot that guy even yep. existed. <laughs> yeah, me too until I said his name. Um, yeah, I he it just the, – the, 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 the Michelle pick is a bit of a head-scratcher because the only other first-round back they've ever – drafted in the Belichick era was Maroney in 2006. Boney That's Maroney. the only other running back that they've drafted in the first round, Lawrence Boney Maroney. Well, and, and we, it's funny because when we were doing running back uh, comps, we had Matt Waldman from RSP on, and we were talking about running backs. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I brought up was that when you talk about running backs who, quote-unquote, get it, you know, there's a lot of running backs who get highly drafted, like you were saying earlier. One of the most confusing picks to you, to you was Saquon Barkley at number two. You know, you're talking about why would you take this unless he's Herschel mm-hmm. Walker? It doesn't make sense to take a running back at number two. Well, I'm looking mm-hmm. at it in terms of the type of player that he is. The one knock, and you know, our guest Matt Waldman agreed with us that. You look at these home run players. You know that, that's the problem with a lot of these running backs. Some of them figure it out, and some of them don't. Lashawn McCoy had the same problem as Jamal Charles, and so did Lawrence Maroney. Was that every one mm-hmm. of them wanted every single play to be an eighty-yard touchdown run, and they didn't develop mm-hmm. that patience that it takes to wait for blocks to be established, wait for their lanes to form. I mean, honestly, I think one of the best running backs in recent history who can do that is Le'Veon Bell. He never looks like he's sprinting, and yet he's always just 10 yards, 15 yards down the field because he's patient. He lets his blocks get set up. Then he finds his second gear. LaShawn McCoy figured it out, and he's had a great career. Jamal Charles has had a great career because he figured out how to do that coming out of college. 
Lawrence Maroney didn't mm-hmm. figure out how to do that. He tried. He had all the physical tools. He just couldn't get it through his head that you need to be patient, wait for your blocks to be established, and then have good open field vision. And it sank his career. So when you're talking about a running back like that, I mean, it's you got to hope that the vision's there and that they learn that patience. With Sony Michelle, I don't think mm-hmm. you're going to have that. But at the same time, I mean, it's 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 a thing that might be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point about Bell too. He always seems like he. It's, he reminds me of Edger and James a lot, where he seems like he's like gliding, almost like almost like you know like ice skating, and it's then effortless. he just shoots. Yeah. You know, he's so patient, and then he just bam, he hits it. He hit. He hits that hole, and he's and he's off to the races. So now, when you take a look at the Patriots draft class as a whole, are there any picks that you'd take back? Or maybe at a certain spot in the draft, you would have gone in a different direction. Oh, absolutely. The first pick went, I would have went defense there. I think he could have got win later in the second round. Um, were there players specific? Ends, I was going to say, were there um, specific players who were there that you were kind of hoping? Like, every, every football fan does it. You're watching the players' available list, and you're saying, oh, shit. Okay, we're mm-hmm. on the clock. I mean, hell, I did it when the Bills drafted Aaron Mabin. I was already doing the Arakpo dance. I thought we had Brian Arakpo <laughs> sealed up. You're you know? doing that same thing when we took Trey White and we didn't take <laughs> Reuben Foster. <laughs> oh, no, no, that was awful. That was the antithesis of the Brian Arakpo dance. <laughs> the Arakpo dance, the Buckus Award winner, okay? Best linebacker in the country. How do you turn that down? Oh, wait, we did. We did that. So... <laughs> At that pick, were there any specific players that you were like, oh, shit, we should have taken that guy? Yeah, I was thinking of Van Der Esch. I was thinking of Rashawn Evans. I was thinking of those guys. Um, you know, sort of those, you know, linebackers that can they can rush, that can cover, that can, you know, they can actually play, unlike the guys we have now, with the exception of Hightower. Um, Harold Landry was another guy I thought that maybe there, you know, but the Titans came up. And, you know, they ended up grabbing, um, you know, Evans. So he, they made a move, and you got the Patriot connection there. You got Mike Vrabel there now as the head coach. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing, yet. you know, us Patriots fans had to watch out for on this draft. You had to watch out for Vrabel. You had to watch out for, well, Houston didn't have any picks around, but O'Brien. You had to watch out for Patricia in Detroit. The so tree? they were right before. The Bill Belichick coaching they're they're gonna, Yeah, they're going to be grabbing plays that we would we would get. Um so I was really disappointed with Wynn at that spot. They, like I said, they need a pass rush, and they certainly need uh, linebackers. So now, one, now that the draft is over, the dust is settled, I mean, you guys made a lot of selections. I mean, right now your rookie draft pool is going to cost you guys $7 million to sign. That's yeah. a lot by most NFL comps. You've got Isaiah Wynn at tackle guard first round. Sony Michelle in the first round. Duke Dawson, a questionable cornerback. I mean, I'm just reading through Pat's Pulpit and NESN and all of these different New England outlets, which actually makes me sick to try to read through because I, it takes a lot, a lot for me to be able to put up with a lot of Patriots news. But, but, but for the sake of argument, I'm going to sift through it all so that I feel like I'm a little bit uh, educated. You have Jahuan Bentley. Jahuan, mm-hmm. really? Yes. In the fifth round? Jahuan <laughs> There's no need for an H in the. Chris said before we started recording, he's like, if I was a coach, I wouldn't draft that guy just because of the stupid H in his name. Like that's that's unnecessary. It seems like your your late round picks, though. I see a quarterback in Danny Atling, former LSU quarterback, Braxton Berrios, 
you know, wide receiver. You really didn't do, you know, when we were talking about draft needs, I mean, when you guys came into the draft, what were your needs? Like, if you could name a couple positions that you thought were the things that you had to pick up, what would they be? Well, right off the top, um, it, it was defensive end, left tackle, Lynn linebacker. And, you know, you can certainly say that the win pick was a pick for need because they lost uh, Nate Solder. But, like you just said, despite the fact that he started a tackle, he projects in the pros as a guard and played as a guard one full season in Georgia. So does my buddy Scar think he can be a left tackle? Mm-hmm. And because I've read that uh, from somebody else, uh, you know, that I believe that was a Georgia that said, this kid's a stud. He's going to come in and start day one. Guard my ass. He's going to be their starting tackle. Now, they went and they traded for Trent Brown from uh, San Francisco, who's an absolute mountain. Um, that's a guy who, who San Francisco is worried about his weight. They traded him. Didn't really fit their zone blocking team over there, apparently. Mm-hmm. But he's in a contract year, so maybe it's a typical Patriot signing. He'll, he'll give him his best year, and they'll get a left tackle out of it. But, um, yeah, big head scratcher taking one at that spot and not getting and, – and really, the guys that they drafted in the fifth and the sixth were largely viewed as free agents. Really not on a lot of people's boards to be drafted. Well, so, and, and that was one of my questions. Late round selections. Because I'm sitting here looking at your draft, and I'm thinking to myself, you finished 2017, 29th ranked defense in the NFL. You guys gave up 5.7 yards per play, which is 30th in all of football. Eighth in the NFL for third downs allowed per game. And in the Super Bowl, the most recent game that got played, you allowed 538 yards of total offense, and 164 of those came on the ground, split up between four different guys. I mean, there was no one style of running that did you in. It was just anything that they did worked. They were getting six, seven-yard runs. So I guess then I almost know the answer to the next question. You probably don't feel like they adequately addressed these team needs as a whole, do you? I don't, not in the draft. Um, now, free agency is a different story. When you get guys like Claiborne and, and you trade for, for Shelton, um, there they address the front seven. And it looks like that they're putting their eggs in last year's group of injured players. <laughs> Dante Hightower, uh, you know, Derek Rivers, mm-hmm. Harvey Lange, those guys that didn't play, and it looks like they're going to – really rely on those guys for the linebacking and defensive end and to give that uh, much infused, uh, you know, much needed infusion of talent into the front seven because, I mean, let's face it, they, like you said, they got waxed in the Super Bowl. They couldn't do anything right, nothing at all. Philly did whatever they want. Really, whatever they wanted to do. How about your boy Gilmore there? (laughs) Gilmore, you know, once he, he made the switch, you know, at corner, um, you know, and, and, and basically just, just took over for Rowe um, at that spot, he played better. But I hate Eric Rowe with a passion <laughs> more than I hated Marcus Cannon when he sucked. Oh, wow. And I hope Eric – I literally hope Eric Rowe gets cut in, like, 
uh, off-season program. I hate him so much. I just want to just please. I hate him. He's terrible. <laughs> he's so overrated. I get into so many arguments on guys with Twitter about, oh, he's big and built and Bill drafted for him. Bill thinks, yeah, you know what? Bill's not always right. Sometimes Bill is wrong. See Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl on the sideline for no good reason whatsoever. Okay, so let's not. You know, Bill is infallible. Um, Eric Rowe blows. I hate him. Don't even get me started. But just getting back to the front seven, they need linebackers, they need defensive ends, and I just don't like it the way that they addressed it in the draft at all, which Man. is basically to say they, they didn't. So if you had a grade that you could give, because I was going to say last week we talked to a Dolphins, uh, Dolphins podcaster who just genuinely believes that the Dolphins really did hit on a lot of different picks. You're singing a very different tune here this week, which I'm not going to lie, makes me happy because – I literally hope nothing good happens to the New England area. I mean, if it could sink into the ocean like Atlantis, <laughs> I'd vote for it, if only for the fact that there's a few really good breweries in that area. <laughs> That's it. I wouldn't want to deprive the rest of the country of great beer just because of my hatred for one sports franchise. I don't drink Sam Adams no. because that's in Massachusetts. <laughs> <laughs> I know a couple people that don't, actually. Um yeah, hey, listen, you know, with sea levels rising, you may get your wish. You never know. The next storm could do us in. You don't know. Who knows? Well, I'll tell you this. Um, Simonelli, if that happens, you can come crash with us anytime. You're, you're, you're good. In, you personally are good in my book. Uh, nice to know I have a place to stay. That's wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> anytime. And uh, I give the draft a D. The, D. the draft sucked, by the way. D, D, big D wow. all day. All right. Well, that makes me feel better. I feel like we should end this thing on a high note. Christian, thank you so much for coming out, guys. He's a for those of you out there who you know, I get it. You're biased against the Patriots, but if you want a good follow on Twitter, he's always a good one. Christian, where can the people find you? At Chris with the T I A N. So Chris with the T I A N. That's my handle. And uh, like he said, give me a follow. I'll follow you back, and uh, we can trade bobs. <laughs> in season, off season, whatever you want. It it's doesn't a, matter. It's, it's a lot of fun, guys. Fun. G- g- give him a shout sometime. You can follow Christian on Twitter at Chris with a T-I-A-N. One of the, well, really for me, outside of Schofield. Him and Schofield are the only two Patriot follows I care for. I don't care for any Patriot follows. Yet those two are tolerable to speak to because they're, they're, they're realistic. You know, they're real about their opinions. They're not homers. I mean, Chris and I are homers. No one falls oh, for that. Yeah, I will tell you I'm a homer <laughs> from the get-go. Folks, thank you so much for showing up for this uh, pre-draft. Pro- like I said, bi-weekly podcasts going on from here on out. Yeah, let us know if you, I, let, let us know if you want uh, Uber stories <laughs> for the summer. Chris, no one wants Uber stories. Hey, I had a hell of a pickup. I had a hell of a pickup uh, Saturday night. I picked up this girl. She was... Uh, Quite as my mom would say, she was overserved. <laughs> she was she got in my car. She sat in the front seat. She had she was at Lloyd. I picked her up close to the corner of uh, Parkside and Hurdle in North Buffalo, and she she was white girl wasted. And so she's completes a couple of sentences, didn't hit all of her syllables, and we went about a mile. And uh, she had she was like, "I'm going to take a nap." Wake me up when uh, we get to the destination. It was literally two minutes, and then she'd just risen from the dead, second wind, and she wants to dance. And so she takes my aux cable, 
plugs it into her phone and starts playing Jason Derulo in my car. <laughs> and so she's like, she's in the front seat of my car. She's just dancing away and she's like seductively touching my face, which has not happened in a long time. So I had fun with that. And then I dropped her off. I dropped her off. She uh, probably went and passed out at eight o'clock at night on a Saturday. Cool story, bro. Cool story, bro. <laughs> I know. It was an awesome story. A woman seductively touching my face. I love it. Folks, first and foremost, if you're not ordering food from Wise Guys Pizza by now, you're assholes. You're just, you're missing the point of great food in the city of Buffalo. My parents were here last weekend. We got a pizza from Wise Guys, of course. Did they enjoy it? Yeah, my dad Absolutely. loved it. My dad, my dad wants to get a slice from every pizzeria down Seneca and just... Have a spreadsheet of who has the best pizza. Well, because your father's an old throwback Buffalonian. <laughs> exactly. Folks, thank you so much for showing up over the course of this last, the, the offseason. I mean, the offseason as a whole, you guys, without much going on, you stuck by us to the tune of 511 downloads per week on average. That's incredible, considering this is our third year. No, that's because people want to know what's going on in the draft. I mean, it's... I, I, we appreciate all of you. Thank you so much for showing up. I will say this. You guys want more in-depth stuff than what I can give you? Go to CoverOne.net. Listen to some of the reviews. I took a, I cribbed a lot of my notes from their website because I, I read their analysis. You'll learn a thing or two. Guys, I got to go. That's Chris Krueger. This is Drew Geary. And this has been the Rock Power Report. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.